Father, again, we thank you that um, as we have acknowledged you to be the one who is everlasting, the one unchanging, the one who is always the same. Lord, we seem to be changing all the time. Our circumstances seem to be changing. Uh, we go through different phases of life. Technology is changing. Styles are changing. Uh, our political uh, scenery and, uh, and people are changing around us, Lord. And yet we thank you that you and your truth, the word of God we read in the scriptures, remains forever. And so we pray, Lord, as today as we ponder and think about the impact of your word in our lives, we pray, Lord, that we might, by your spirit, see you doing that even today, using your word to speak to our hearts and to help us understand who you are and understand more of where you want us to be headed and to once again celebrate the gospel and our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we start off uh, reading uh, Psalm 119, and for those of you who may not know, just to inform you, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It is, in my translation, it goes on for eight pages. Again, if you think about a book, uh, if you're in your iPad, it's just a couple of flicks, I guess, to just keep going. But anyway, uh, eight pages. It is a complete unit. It is a well-thought-out thematic masterpiece that was carefully crafted in the form of a poem. It has a poetic structure and thoughts, and it's all centered on the value of God and the treasure of the Word of God. Now, to superficial readers, if you come to Psalm 119 and you find yourself reading it a little bit, you sort of say to yourself, wow, it sounds sort of repetitive if you keep on reading. It's the same thing over and over, just different phrases, different order. And it sounds sort of like a redundant strumming, a, like a one string on a guitar. Bang, bang, bang. It's just like same thing, same thing. Verse after verse. Now, it is true that the psalmist here is taking the theme of the Word of God and he's trying to use a number of different synonyms, words that mean similar things, but they're different. So he uses the words like law and testimonies and the precepts of God, the statutes of God, the law of God, the commands, the ordinances, the word, the promises of God. He uses all those different words, but what's he talking about? He's still talking about and reflecting on the wonders of God's Word. And so the author of this particular psalm, Psalm 119, carefully composed this poem for this purpose, I believe. It was to share with other people not only his love for God, but the fact that he has been so impacted by and so helped by the Word of God that he now has a love for the Word of God, along with a love for God. And it's interesting the way in which the psalmist broke it up so that it's not just one flowing, ongoing, although it looks like that in our translations often, it just keeps on going, keeps on going. But the author composed it in such a way in which he divided it into stanzas. There are 22 stanzas. And the 22 stanzas correspond to the 22 letters of the alphabet in Hebrew. And so what you have here is like, for example, the first stanza in my Bible, actually has the name of the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph, is there. And then the second letter of the alphabet, verse 9, is Beit. 
And so you keep going through. And what you would find in Hebrew, reading from right to left, all of the first words in the line would start with Aleph, the first letter A. And you would start with those so that it would show that there's some thought that each one of these stanzas, each line of that stanza would start with that letter A. And then the next stanza, each letter would start with B, so that each word would go. There's some thought into having this something you would be able to remember and actually call to mind. And what's the point of that? Well, if you think about the time in which this was written, most people didn't have a copy of their scriptures. Most people didn't have lots of books. Many people couldn't read. And so they would hear something and they would hear it and by repetition they would learn to memorize it and, put, and therefore um, have it something that was um, added to their memory. So I think the, the writer of this psalm is trying to say let's think deeply and with great impact on why it's so wonderful to have the Word of God in our lives and how wonderful God is. It's an older man. He's lived a long time. He's interacted with God in many different experiences and seen the Lord's faithfulness in all those difficult and wonderful times. And now he's thinking about the power of the Word of God, how it's effect affected him. I want to look at the first stanza here, verses 1 to 8. And I want to think about a couple of observations and suggestions to encourage us to take this up, take the Word of God up and read it. So that this next year, the result of our reading the Word of God would actually be result in us becoming more spiritually mature, that we would actually see more personal transformation taking place in our hearts, not just having more facts in our minds, but that we would be a people who have a deepening relationship with God. That's a real prayer that I'm, I'm asking God to do in my life and in the life of all of us as a church. So let's look first of all then at verses 1 to 3 and think about this first principle. I'm sorry about your notes, but I didn't want to be bound to any particular outline because I knew I was going to be working on it later in the week. And the first point I wanted to say is that when we know God, knowing God and living according to God's word, it brings great blessing. Very simple point, but very obvious in this particular stanza. The writer says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies and seek him with all their heart. They walk in his ways. How blessed. Here's this general principle that if we take to heart the word of God, applying the truths to day and day life, there's some qualities of life that we will enjoy that other people will not. And so it's a reminder that just like in Psalm 1, there are two classes or two groups of people in this world. There are those who are blessed people who are not just merely talking about the Bible. They're not just listening to the Bible, but they're so impacted by the Scriptures and by the God of the Bible that they're beginning to do something. and They're actually obeying. They're putting into practice what the Bible encourages them to do. And these blessings are not enjoyed by everyone. There, there are many people who have heard sermons. There are many people who have been exposed to the Bible in some way. But their, their hearts have never been changed by God. Their hearts have never been transformed and changed by the grace and the love of God and the gospel. And therefore, their hearts, they have no treasure of the commandments of God. They don't, they're not saying, Lord, show me what to do. I desire to do your will. They're not saying that. And therefore, the word of God is not very much treasured by them at all. 
As we become more familiar with God and His ways, we ponder the gospel privileges that are ours and that we enjoy them, that we see them revealed in Scripture. We're going to find our hearts satisfied in God more and more. And as we find our hearts satisfied in God more and more, that's going to turn us to the point where we say, Lord, I am so thankful for who you are and what you've done for me. I desire to to give myself to you. Show me what you would have me do to honor you and please you. I'm convinced that for some of us, though, we don't read the scriptures with that kind of mindset. Many times when we come to scripture, there are people who have come to read the psalm and they they find this psalm to be less than fascinating. Why? Because they assume that if I do all that Scripture wants me to do, my life is going to be miserable. Do you remember thinking like that? I remember when I was a kid, I kept thinking, ugh, this thing has got a lot of don'ts. Don't do this and don't do that. And so we find ourselves many times coming to the Scriptures and we come with this battle between I want to do what I want to do versus what God's will and what his intention for us is. And I think there's much thinking in modern day here which people uh, have this notion of God that they conceive of God as some cosmic killjoy. That God is there trying to think up many ways in which, you know, the ways of God are wearisome. They think that the ways of God are restrictive. They are designed to sort of ruin your life. He's not there to rescue our lives from disaster. He's there to sort of keep us in this straight and narrow so that you really can't have much fun in life. And life becomes really just duty. Just put your head down and keep going. But consider some of the several things about the Word of God that I think are so helpful to be reminded of. And I think this is going to help us, and I'm sort of going to backtrack here, so please follow me here. I know you don't have an outline, so I do know where I'm going. So whether you can follow me or not, I don't know, but I know where I'm going. And that is I'm going to go back to Psalm 19 just for a moment. I'm leaving Psalm 119, and I'm moving back to Psalm 19. And I'm going to show you why I'm doing this in a second here. But Psalm 19 has a very interesting reflection on why the scriptures are so valuable and so helpful, so important, and so valuable, beneficial. Because this is going to help us if we're to be reading and listening to and studying and memorizing and meditating on the scriptures. Why is it? What's so big deal about them? And so this is going to answer that question. And I'm taking some of these thoughts from, and I'm going to be honest with you, John MacArthur. He had a very helpful way of explaining this text that's very, very clear. And, uh, and one of the points he makes is that, you know, you read some books, and as you read the books, they change the way you think, right? Haven't you read a book and you say, oh, I always thought it was this way, but actually it's this way now. And you think of things differently. But the Scriptures... Because they are inspired by the Holy Spirit and that God is writing them through individuals, fallen human people like you and me, but he he led them without error. Therefore, the scriptures are his revelation and they can change your nature. They change us on the inside as you read them. And so look look why that's true. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Another way of thinking of that is, it is comprehensive. It is the treatment of 
everything you need to know. It is a comprehensive treatment of the truth, and therefore it is able to do what? Converting the soul. It can actually transform you on the inside. You talk about reading something that's actually going to impact who you are on the inside. No wonder it's valuable to invest time in that. And so the psalmist is saying, it's not just something that informs the mind, it actually converts the soul. It cha changes us on the inside. The testimony of the Lord next in, in Psalm 19. Testimony of the Lord is sure, that is reliable, it is trustworthy, it is without error. And what is the benefit of that? Well, it makes wise the simple. And the simple there is a word in Hebrew which meant to swing back and forth as if it was a door on hinges. Have you ever seen those uh, doors that go into kitchens? And so you push on it, you can go one way and push, and then it swings back like this, and, and then you come out of the kitchen, it pushes again, it swings back. And uh, you need to be careful if you're on the inside or outside, whether somebody's coming or going, you can really get knocked over there. But it, it, this is a description of the kind of people who have minds and ways of thinking that's like a, a swinging door. Everything's going in, everything's going out. There is no sense in which they really have strong core beliefs and understandings about anything. They are called naive. Their thinking is indiscriminate. They, have the, they lack in the skill of living. And so you read the scriptures and he says, it makes wise those who are simple, don't have any kind of discernment. The more you read the scripture, the more you're going to understand what? The skill of living. You're going to understand the dynamics of relationships. You, you say, I've got issues with my marriage. Read the scriptures. You can be amazed what you learn and can apply to your marriage or to other relationships and to your motives as to why you do what you do. If you want to understand yourself better, you understand the scriptures, which oftentimes will reveal the deep issues of what really drives your behavior, your thoughts, your aspirations. It's amazing. I'm going to keep on going there. Psalm 19. Another thing about the, the Word of God, the statutes of the Lord are right. That is, they, they set us onto the right path in life. And the benefit of that is, they rejoice the heart. What can you study that actually will bring you inner joy and inner peace and will lead you to a place of satisfaction and inner joy other than the Scriptures? There's nothing. People look for it. They're looking for it in novels. They look for it on, on the web to entertain themselves, looking at all kinds of videos and whatever, and laughing for a few minutes. It doesn't leave you with a sense of true inner peace and joy like the Scriptures will. Continuing on, Psalm 19. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That is, it's clear. It's lucid. It's not defiled in any way. And it enlightens the eyes. It helps us to see and understand clearly the big issues of what's going on in life. Issues like death, understanding what, what does death involve and what, in, what are the issues about death that we need to be prepared for. The big issues of why is our world so screwed up? Why, why do things seem like it's, it's going off the tracks? All the time it always seems that way. Enlightens the eyes. The more we read the scripture, the more you see and understand and perceive really what's going on around you. The fear of the Lord, continuing on in Psalm 19. The fear of the Lord is clean, that is, without any tainting of evil in the scriptures at all. And it endures forever. That is, the scriptures never need to be updated. Isn't that great? 
Years ago, we had on a shelf in our den uh, a series of books called the World, en World, uh, World Encyclopedia. Is that what it's called? Yeah, World Book Encyclopedia. And you used to pull that thing down. Okay, here's my report. It's going to be right here. I'm going to get this right out of this little report on whatever the issue was. You look under all the different letters. And guess what they do every year? This is one of these schemes, I guess, where you, you buy these things. And you would subscribe to, here's the update for 1988 or 19, whatever it was, 78, I guess it was back years ago. So you get an update because why? Because things have changed from when they published this thing. There's more information. Things have changed since that time. And so you constantly have to be updating it. Guess what? Encyclopedias, you can't even give them away nowadays. Because why? Because things have changed. And so you can be, have much more accurate information on the web that's, that keeps up with all the change. But the scriptures, you don't need another version of them. You don't need an updated version. They are accurate and they are true. They speak right to what is happening today. They remind us of what God did in the past and what he's doing now. And then, of course, it ends with the helpful thought that the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Scripture is true. So many people you can't trust in today's world. They, they, they speak with, you know, half truth here and half truth there. And you're like, I'm not sure I can really trust you. You can trust the scriptures. And that's why when John speaks about the commandments of God in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, here's how he views what God is giving us in his word. He says the commandments, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. But for many of us, they say, yes, they are too. They are tremendously a burden. It's a burden for me to try to read the word every so often. Well, if that's our view of things, guess what? I don't think we really understand how wonderful the scriptures really are and the tremendous benefits we derive from them. Now, to those of us who are not in relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to those who are the unregenerate, to what scripture calls the natural man, they are not born again. What does the natural man think about the scriptures? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I would remind you, we read this. The natural man, the unregenerate person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, which means the Scriptures. Why is that? He thinks they're foolish. He thinks they're ridiculous. He thinks they're outdated, outmoded, irrelevant. He thinks they're just a bunch of, of uh, silly rules. And he cannot understand them. So he doesn't really grasp what they're saying why? Because they are spiritually appraised. And he can't appraise them correctly because his heart has not been changed. He doesn't have the Spirit of God in him. And therefore, it seems like it's just a bunch of dry words from long ago. I can't seem to make any sense out of it. And so he just has no interest in reading at all. Whereas the believer has what? The Spirit of God, who also authored the Scriptures, the one who lives in us. And therefore, we have the ability to understand more and more insights into what God has done, the God who rescues, the God who saves, the God who deals with us in grace, the God who shows us his love, the God who restored his people to a right, right relationship with him through faith. And therefore, we can find there's great blessing. There is great blessing in knowing God and knowing his ways and following in his ways. That's point number one. 
If you believe that, then going to the next point, I think is going to make a lot of sense for you. And the next point is this, that scripture reading is designed to deepen your relationship with God. Reading the scripture is designed to deepen your relationship with God. Now you'll notice in the first three verses of Psalm 119, the writer talks about those people. Blessed are those whose ways. Uh, how blessed are those who observe his commandments. They also do no one unrighteous. They walk in his ways. Now notice as he continues on though, there's a change. He starts talking about verse 4. We, we should keep them diligently. And then verse 5, he changes even more in terms of the pronoun. Oh, that my ways may be established. He goes from they and them and those to we, and then he goes into me. He starts talking from a personal point of view. And so there's a big difference now as he goes from the general and maybe from God's people historically. He talks about we and those of his generation. And then he says, okay, now I'm going to talk about me and my views of things as he talks to the Lord. I find it interesting that the author of these words was not offering some sort of intellectual musings about the scriptures. He's not just reflecting on the Bible as, you know, some sort of document that he thinks is an interesting archaeological thing. No, he is talking from, about it from the perspective of someone who has a personal relationship with God. It's the author. And the psalmist enjoyed this kind of communion with God, his maker. It was not just handwritten scroll in front of him with, you know, fancy little lettering. Uh, it's not just some sort of printed words on a page. But what he's describing here is he's saying that this is, this is an opportunity to have this relationship where my heart is open to you, God, and your heart is open to me. And there is this exchange going on between us on a personal, real relationship. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he says, you folks of my generation, Jesus is talking now in the first century, he says, you people search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is the scripture that bears witness of me. It is the scriptures that bear witness to Christ. And therefore, the more we read the scriptures, the more we're seeing the true living word of God who fulfilled so many of these things, who is the one who comes to remind us and has expressed to us the most, the most um, completely who God is and the person Jesus Christ. But the Bible's not a dusty, dry record of obscure practices. It's a love letter. It's a letter that has significant um, content from one person who is communicating their heart of love to someone who's reading it, and then they, in the heart of love, responds back to the author. So we don't read the Bible as we would a, a, something online or a novel, just learning facts. But we read it in its pages so that we might understand who God is. I don't have time to really think this through too well, but um, several years ago, uh, in looking through some of the items from my parents' home, um, I'm blessed to come from a family that saved everything. Uh, that can be a blessing, that can be a curse. 
but uh, anyway, my grandfather had a quite a large attic, and in that attic were things that belonged to his parents, his grandparents, and maybe even some other people going back further in the generations. We didn't really get in there and look at things too much when he was alive. But after he died, my dad started going through the boxes and putting things in other smaller boxes and come across some letters. For example, here's a letter that's written to my great-grandmother from my grandfather. So he's writing to his mother. And the date on this is 1912. She's soon about to die. And so he's writing to her, describing to her what he's been doing and uh, thanking her. He's saying um, uh, he's so thankful that his sister saved egg and milk money so that he could buy a class pin when he was at college. I mean, this is, he's just talking about what's going on in his life, opening his heart to his mother. The point is, I've taken some of those letters and I've typed them up because I want to be able to share them with other members of our family. Now, I take great interest in those, but I didn't know those people. I didn't know my great-grandmother. I knew my grandfather, but I didn't know my great-grandmother. But I'm interested in that. Why? Because I'm related to these people, but that's still not the same as really knowing God personally and Him knowing me. And I would just again remind us that as we're reading the Scriptures, we begin to sort of let it be known that God, this is where I am. Notice how the psalmist talks about, he, he, he begins to respond to God and says, you know, um, in Psalm 119, he says, Oh, that my ways may be established. I will give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. Um, and then he says, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Here's a person that realizes he's, he's got some areas he still has some doubts, he has some concerns, he has some things he wants to open up and talk to the Lord about. Now I want to share a couple of comments here as we end because I'm trying to encourage us to be very specific in saying, Lord, I want to do more than just know about and say I know I should be reading the Word. I want to take steps to make sure I read the Word more, more than I read it this past year. So if you're reading the Word on a regular basis, great, keep it up. If you're not there, then here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take some small steps to where you begin to say, beginning in January, I'm going to start a new pattern of life. You say, oh, wait a minute, this sounds a little legalistic. You're making another rule for me here. You're putting a burden on me. You're making creating this kind of expectation. And I came across an interesting blog the other day by Melissa Kruger, which I thought was quite helpful. And some of the thoughts that she had, first of all, let's be clear. There is no heavenly chart, Bible reading chart, that has a little check mark on your name saying, completed Bible reading on this day, 2016. Okay, there is no Bible chart keeping track of how well you're doing, okay? That what we want to understand here is that you are accepted. If you're a believer, you are accepted fully on the merits of Christ's perfect obedience, not on how well you've been reading your Bible. Okay? So hear me on that. We're not trying to heap some kind of burden on you. We're just trying to encourage you to find that if you are a child of God, then let God speak to you on a regular basis. And if you're in Christ, you're clothed with his righteousness. You're made perfect by his blood, not by your Bible reading. And somebody says, well, are you sure of that? And you know what my answer is? Yeah, you read it in the Bible. <laughs> read the scriptures and you'll become convinced of that more and more. Here's another helpful quote. You don't, we don't spend time with God so that he will love us more. 
We spend time in the Word because we need daily reminders of His love. That's helpful. We don't spend time with God so that He will show us favor. We spend time in the Word because we need reminders of His favor that is already freely given to us. We are forgetful creatures trying to survive on the crumbs of the world when He's offering us a what? A feast. There's a feast here. And some of us are getting by on little tiny crumbs, wondering why we're so hungry and why we're not satisfied with anything in this world, going from thing to thing. Now you say, well, you know, this seems like it's going to be a lot of work. I have to try to, to, to do this kind of effort on a regular basis to remember to read the Word, and it just seems like a burden. It's, it, it's so much, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's coming from a heart that is, uh, you know, dealing with this person in love. It's it, all this work. And so let me remind you, if you have a relationship with somebody, you want to connect with them, and you're going to go to the effort of trying to have lunch with them on a regular basis, there's some days you're going to say, you know, this takes a lot of work. It's raining. I don't want to go out there, but I'm going to do it anyway. Why? Because this is something valuable that will help us achieve that which we've agreed to do. So meeting in God daily is a faithful act of belief. What we need more than anything else is time listening to God speak to us through his word. That's really what we need. And for many of us, you know what that means? You're going to have to stop listening to all the noise that so easily interrupts you that you don't realize how much that is. For some of us, our phones can be something that is a very helpful tool, but you're going to have to shut that thing off and get away from it. You're going to have to shut your computer off, your tablet, whatever it is. And I would encourage you to get a book to read because the tablet is too distracting. You could say one swipe and you're on the Internet. One swipe and you're answering a tweet. You know, one, one little movement and all these things are calling your attention and distracting you away from having time with God and letting him speak to you through his word. So, folks, can you give, me, can you give 15 minutes where you say I'm turning it all off? 20 minutes? For me, I'm outside. I'm walking. If the weather's bottom like this, I'm outside and my phone is shut off. I'm, doing, I'm listening to something in my ears that's somebody preaching or the Word of God being read aloud so I can hear it. And I, nothing else is bothering me. It's a wonderful thing to do. I'm the old generation. I'm not a person that lives on my phone all the time and loves to be interrupted. Anyway, here we go. I want to go back to this comment of the psalmist real quickly here, my last point. There's an honesty in the psalmist that's refreshing. He admits in the latter part of the psalm, I'm struggling. I'm not fully arrived here. He's honest and open in his dealings with God. He reads the word. He's conscious of his frailty. He says, look, don't abandon me here. Don't forsake me. I got some problems here. He knows, and if you keep reading the psalm, you're going to find there's lots of prayer. He opens up his, his thoughts and his heart to God so that as he thinks about the word, he's talking to God. That's what reading the Word's all about. And so he talks about his Heavenly Father asking for help. There's no hint of hypocrisy or pretentious here, pretentiousness. The psalmist is very open and honest with God. It's a helpful model for what it means to read the Scriptures. And the Scriptures do what? They point us to Christ. Because apart from Christ, we can't do anything anyway, Right? And so the, if you look at our own strength, yes, we're going to fail, but the more we're reminded of Christ and His ways and what He's done for us, the privileges of who we are in the gospel, the more our hearts are what? Warmed 
and reminded of the grace and love and joy we find in Christ. Now I want to speak to one last issue here because I know this is a real big issue for many of us. And you say, I don't have time. I'm sorry, but my life, I'm a busy person. Many of us have a schedule that's jammed full and we like it that way because many of us choose to have a jam schedule. Do you think about that? You say, oh, listen, I've got lots of things going on. You, it, I'm telling you, here, here's some helpful co comments again from this blog I was reading. It's quite interesting. We need to be brave enough to speak this truth to ourselves. First of all, I do not have a busyness problem. I have a belief problem. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, we spend our lives on what we believe will bring satisfaction. If it is our families then we will make our homes the center of our world. So that's the person who does what? They vacuum every day. They dust every day. Everything is just in its place. They do everything for their kids. It, they live their whole world. What? That is their world. That's where they find their significance. And that's what they believe. Therefore, they give themselves wholly and entirely to that. And they say, oh, there's so much I have to do in my house. If it is our work, we will scramble and work all hours of the night on the weekends and get all this work done. If it is our comforts that we're living for, we believe that that's where my real security find, is found. We will seek food, we will seek vacations, we will seek entertainment, we will seek our pleasures to try to fill ourselves with those things. Because why? We believe that that's what we desperately need. But we are thirsty creatures who are seeking satisfaction somewhere and we will take a drink from whatever fount we believe will give us the most relief. And what we need is Jesus. And so I encourage you, fight for time with him. Believe that he is the one thing that you need the most. And trust him for all the rest of your life, which will hopefully fall into place in his time. Okay, a couple of practical things and I'm done. If this is going to be any kind of significant incremental change in your life, you're going to, first of all, you've got to get a plan. And by plan, I mean find a time in which you're going to read. For me, I'm a morning person, so reading in the morning works for me. You, you want me to read at night? Forget it. I'll fall asleep, guaranteed. Do I get anything when I, when I fall asleep trying to read? No, I don't get anything out of it. So if you're a person that is wide awake at nighttime, then... If that works for you, great. But find a time and start to, be, to put it on your calendar. Put it in something that you get used to doing it at the same time every day as best you can. For Jesus, he did what? Got up early. Everybody else was still sleeping. Guess what? You can have a lot of quiet time to yourself in the morning. Nobody's going to bother you. Uh, go to bed earlier. It'd be amazing what you can do in the morning. Get a plan, and that is... Find ways to read the Word, find ways to hear the Word, find ways to meditate on the Word, find ways to study them and read them again and again. And I would suggest that you find a Bible reading plan. By that I mean, find some way in which you can say, well, I'm going to read so much of the, of the Word each day and try to keep up with moving through so that I have some sort of plan and it helps me keep going. Now, the plan is not designed to make you feel guilty and say, give up because you're three weeks behind. No, you just keep going and don't worry about the date, but at least you know you're making progress. I have put a copy, several copies for those of you who are not on computers much and you're not real comfortable 
using a computer. I've got some hard copies of several different ways of reading plans. Um, and then there's four different reading plans on our website, church website, newvillagechurch.net. Look up resources, and then there are Bible reading plans, four different kinds right there for your convenience, and they're all over the web. You can just Google them, and there are tons of them, including ones that'll have two years it'll take you to read through the Bible. That sounds like a reasonable plan for some of us. Uh, there are others that do the five by five by five plan. What's that? Five minutes a day. You read for five days a week. That lets you make up on the weekends, maybe if you miss a day or something. And five ways to dig deeper. They give you five practical ways to try to get something out of that reading. There's all kinds of plans. Get a plan. And don't let the plan be your master, but let the plan help you get motion till you move ahead. So you know where you're going, you know what you're trying to do, and you're moving in a new direction by the glory of God, for the glory of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your word not to lay a big burden on us. It is a big book to read. There's no question about it. There's lots of content there. But Lord, when we think about the meticulous efforts that people made to copy your word, letter by letter and word after word, and used to count all those letters and just the detail of what it was to tran transmission of all of that truth, Lord, down through the years. We know that you want us to have your word, and your word is alive. It is not a dead old book. It is something that is alive and active. It, it penetrates deep down in our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that your word would indeed take an active role in shaping us. For some of us, it might be imparting life. We might, we might discover and meet the real and true and living Savior, Jesus Christ, as we read the scriptures, and many people have done so. Read the word of God, and next thing they know, they realize they're saved, they need to be saved, and they come to Christ. And for others of us, Lord, I pray that it would be a, a love letter, drawing our hearts up to you, Lord, gaining insight about who you are, and the wonders of your grace, and the glories of the gospel, filling us with hope, and peace, and encouragement, and insight, wisdom, for everyday life. Lord, I pray that you would impact our lives and that we would be a people who would become people of the word, who have a hunger for truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.